podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. All right, and whenever you're ready. This is episode 52 of the Inside Tri Show, bringing you awesome interviews from triathlon and beyond. I'm Helen Murray, and this week I have been speaking to Dan Larang, coach to Ironman World Champions Gian Fredino and also Annie Haug, and head coach and head of innovation at professional cycling team Bora Hansgrohe. He is a busy guy. As I record this, we are about to go into lockdown number two in England. So I have been cramming in my chlorine fix over the past couple of days. It's so, it's so, I don't know, it's so weird, isn't it? I was finally starting to feel like some sort of swimming technique was coming back, even if the speed wasn't quite there. And then adios, adios to a lot of things again. But um, yeah, good good job I started that cold water swimming a month ago, right? (laughs) Who knows if that will continue? We will see, but um, I will tell you a little bit about the latest swim later on in the podcast. Anyway, I want to know how are you going to get through this lockdown number two? How are you getting through lockdown number two? Have you got any tips? Have you got any words of wisdom or advice for your fellow listeners? just to help us through. Let me know at Inside Try Show on social media. Time for this week's interview. We're going to crack on with the interview this week and it was so good to pick the brains of one of the best triathlon and endurance sport coaches out there, Dan Lorang recently. Dan is still relatively young for a coach, but in terms of his experience and what he has achieved, well, his CV's pretty bulging, isn't it? With a load of goodness. Not only did he guide both Jan Fredino and Anne Haug to the Ironman World Championship title in 2019, he is also head coach at Bora Hansgrohe professional cycling team. Peter Sagan is on that team and we talk about what makes all of these athletes tick. We talk tattoos. Yep. We talk about working with Annie and Jan. How Dan really gets nervous when his athletes are racing and how he tries to control those nerves. He talks about seeing one of his other athletes, Sarah True, collapse within striking distance of winning Ironman Frankfurt. And we also talk about the importance of nailing the basics. To me, he comes across as a real thinker and a true gent. Dan Lorang. Welcome to the Inside Try Show. First of all, how are you and how has 2020 been for you? Yeah, welcome, uh, Helen. It was re- it's really nice for me to be in your show. And um, I'm fine at the moment. For sure, we are at a, at a really special year, 2020. It starts quite normal in the first months. And also now for our cycling team, for example, it's quite no- it starts normal with some success at the races. And then suddenly one of our biggest success was Paris-Nice. And then after this race, everything changed. Uh, we had uh, COVID coming to Europe. And yeah, it was a little bit strange to deal with this. I think like for everybody, I was not used to that situation. The athletes, not the family, not. So n- nobody really used to what is going on now. That's that's why it, it felt strange. But still I'm thankful that at the moment everything is quite fine in in our surroundings, let me call it like this. And this time of year, so we are, while we're recording this, it's the very end of October. You're in a Hawaiian shirt, which I'm loving. (laughs) 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 But normally it would be for you. It would very much be the wind down after the Ironman World Championships, wouldn't it? Where you would be, you know, with your athletes like Annie Haug and Jan Fredino. Yet um, it was especially strange on the um, I think when was it one week ago or when there was one, really one year after the, we got the two world titles. So after this uh, feeling that we that you know, that the told me are not in Kona, you, there is even no <laughs> no Iron Man at that day. And yeah, I talked to Annie and also Jan, and 
you think back about this moment, you think back about this nice sensation, but you really appreciate it even more then because then you feel that, okay, it's really special. A lot of things has to go in a good direction that you can have these nice moments as an athlete, but for sure also as a coach. And um, so you revive it once again. And um, that's why sometimes I wear the Hawaii shirt and <laughs> uh, get some memory back to, to this uh, special special days there on, the, on this ma- magic island. Did you miss it this year? Yeah, for sure. So um, especially that there was even a race. I cannot go there every year. It's, it's um, Sometimes it fits, sometimes not. But... Um, yeah, the time before, so this tension before this big race, preparing your athletes for the biggest uh, long-distance triathlon in the world, uh, for the World Championships, uh, defending perhaps uh, the titles, uh, always some tension. And this year there was, yeah, it was not just not there. And um, so, yeah, I missed it. On the other hand, you could also say, yeah, but then you are quite easy, you are just more relaxed. But I think uh, it's not why we are doing the job. We... This kind of uh, tension belongs to the job, and if you have no competition at all, it's yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> How have Jan and Annie found it this year? Mm, so for Annie, it was it was a special situation, yes, but um, she is really um, an an athlete, hundred percent. So she is really likes training, and competition is just. She has to do it. She also loves it, but um, she really likes more the process, the day-by-day training, getting better, really enjoying this lifestyle. And that's why it was not so hard for her to 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 not compete. Uh, we must say that they get some nice support from the sponsors and also from triathlon organizations. So that's why it was easier for her also to come over it from the financial point. And... Um, with Jan, he also loved his lifestyle, but he is even more a racer. So he he needs at some point to be at the start line against yeah, his uh, against the others and try to get the best out of him. For sure, he also did some good training, but it was perhaps or it was not with the same intensity, with the same hundred percent commitment like, for example, Annie did, because he quite quite um, early in the season already said. I think there will be no world championships at all when I look at the overall situation. And we have other problems at the moment. He lives in Spain and there you had a long, long period of lockdown. So we really saw what happens there to the people. That's why his priority was a little bit a different one. Even, push, don't get me wrong, he trained and he keeps him, his body in shape. But it was, it was there was a difference between these two athletes, how they deal with the situation. Did you did you communicate a lot more with them during that period than you would normally, or was it about the same? With um, Annie and Jan, it was it was quite the same. With Jan, um, it depends a little bit because yeah, he has um, a lot of people who are quite close to him, like his manager, his physiotherapist, his, his family, and so in moments where sport is not the, f- the biggest topic or training or everything what is linked to this. Um, it's it's not that he, he he's an experienced athlete. He he doesn't need a coach who every week calls him and says, "Oh yeah, but it will get better." And he has a lot of experience there. So we have we have the same contact with any. Also, we sometimes we talk about okay, what is the next goal? Uh, how do you use the situation? How will things go on? Um, with the cyclists, for example, there we it was a little bit different. There we make every week a, a video call. So in general, we just talk on the phone, um, but there we really make the video call because there were no training camps and no no possibility to see each other, not only the coach and um, the athletes, but also the athletes themselves because cycling is a team sport, a real team sport. So you race as seven or eight uh, riders a race. Triathlon, you do it by your own. So you are more used to be alone. And for the cyclists, it's a little bit different. That's why we, we use their more video conferences uh, as usually. It's really, it is so interesting how different people have coped this year and how different athletes 
perhaps without especially for triathlon um and for cyclists as well you know they are athletes their job is racing and then it's very difficult when that main part of their livelihood and of their job is taken away I guess more so for the triathletes because there have been fewer races at least with cycling they've had the races exactly it's the case I think in triathlon you even have the problem that a lot of athletes really have to yeah they have a reduced budget so they they couldn't give the, their sponsors the possibility to be seen in the media or on TV. And that's why some sponsors just say, okay, we can't pay you, so we can't give you money. And it was quite hard for them. There was no prize money to get in these years for for, for the world champions. It's not so much a problem, but for the uh, for a lot of triathletes, there are a lot of professional triathletes who really have to, to see from what they are living. And that's why it was really not easy for that sport. In cycling, it depended a little bit in cycling you have it depends on your sponsor so we were quite lucky that we have two sponsors which main products are um, for your home what you need at home and people were a lot at home that's why they even buy more kitchens they even buy <laughs> more bathrooms so for these main sponsors it was not such a bad deal uh, it was not the same but they didn't have the same problem as other um, um, industries had and that's why we were quite lucky, or our riders were quite lucky, that they get the salary at the end of the month, even without racing. But, like you said, from the middle of the year on, or from July on, we could race again and had mainly all, or not all, but nearly all the big races just in a row. <laughs> Can we go back a bit, Dan? Um, because we mentioned uh, Annie Haug and we mentioned Jan Fredino, and... I think it's fascinating how you came about being coach to both of them. And with Annie, you and her, you've known each other for absolutely years since university, haven't you? Yeah, she was um, my first athlete that I start with. So I think uh, I always have to, to calculate, I think 16, 17. Yeah, <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> and she was really the first athlete um, that that I write for um, training plans day by day. So, um, and she was in that point at the situation to say, okay, I want to do triathlon. I have no clue how to do it. Um, and I was studying in my sports science studies and I said, okay, you have to, I have to learn how to make training plans. So how, what will work and what not. So we can try it together. And that was basically the start of a, of a long journey that we went together over local triathlons up to, yeah, world, uh, world, uh, European Cups, World Cups on short distance, World Championships there and now on long distance. So it's a, a really long-term athlete-coach relationship and um, for sure something special. It's it's incredible, isn't it? Like 16 years, 17 years and to have gone from being that student to, many would say, you know, the, the world's best coach in triathlon or at least one of the world's best yeah i think it's um we have a lot of good coaches out there but i was quite uh, lucky to have this exceptional athlete and yeah you grow with experience and um that's why um i was quite lucky to to have them and um, to see the ways of the athletes so when we come look at any's career and we look at my own career it's some kind of parallel development uh, there are some up, there are some downs. So that's why last year when she won then this world title, it was some kind of finally we are there, uh, and that was quite quite a nice feeling. I think for her also what she told me, but uh, for sure also for me. Did both of you have to pinch yourself? <laughs> it was a little bit unreal the situation uh, for sure. That's why it was also good to be there. Um, I think it would not have been the same if I would be uh, stay at home and look from TV because then you you see the pictures, but you can't you can't go to the uh, celebration together. And I think that is a main a main point to go through this together. And I remember one one situation because when one 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 of your athletes wins the world championship title at the dinner, you sit at the first tables. But there were two different tables, one with Jan and his uh, family and friends and one with uh, with Annie. 
yeah, so where should I sit now? And then uh, Jan came to me and said, okay, I take you the decision. It's quite clear. You go to any table because it's, yeah, it's something special. And we had this situation already when Jan won the first time his title. I was also there. And that's why I would not have wanted to miss that, that evening and to be there and to celebrate together. And rewind 16, 17 years, would you have ever believed that you would be the coach of a number of world champions? No, I think that's something you <laughs> you, you don't think about is that uh, you have dreams. Um, but uh, I'm honest, I have never, never even not, not have the dream to, to, to have two world champions at the same moment. And um, so you go always in life, you go step by step. I think it's you should have a dream, but perhaps should not always just thinking about this big goal because then you miss also, you miss the small things, and that's why I just saw it step by step, year by year, try to get better as a coach, try to bring further my 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 athletes, and to develop and just always having the the consequence of this was also always some good results or some development in my career, but also some some downs where things didn't went how. I wanted to, uh, so where, where the success was not there. So I think um, when you look back to careers of, of successful uh, coaches, I think you, you find some similar ways. Uh, like I started quite early uh, with coaching because I didn't have this athlete career. I was not I was not a professional athlete. That's why I started early as a coach. And that's why I now was uh, 40. I, I'm already at that point to have achieved this. But it's it's not over because um, I'm not saying okay that was my biggest goal and now I do something else. No, it's it's just the result of the, this whole process and and now it goes on and for sure there are some some more things to discover and uh, I'm already looking forward to this. You mentioned some of the lows. What have some of those been? Um, for sure, there were uh, something that stays in in my mind was a little bit some of my time during. Um, I was national triathlon coach in Germany, and um, there was some times where, yeah, was that were not so nice. Where I saw, okay, the, the we didn't have the success we wanted. There was some reason for this, but also the whole situation, the environment, everything didn't feel so well. Didn't feel how it should how it should be. Uh, there were too many. I put too many energy in uh, in conflicts in. Yeah, in, in, not in coaching, but in trying to solve conflicts. And in the end, it was not only the fault of other people. I think everybody has bring something into the situation. But um, that was a time when you also think, okay, is this really working? What you are doing there? Is this the right environment? Should you do something else? Uh, when you feel that you lose a little bit the trust, also perhaps in that case from from the federation, that were some. Um, some bad sensations uh, and when you go first time through this as a coach you you grow also you know okay it's high performance but you cannot be always successful there are good days bad days and um, that's why you should appreciate when you are at the top and not panic when you are somewhere at the low I think in other sports it's quite normal when you look at soccer you have a coach one year he's the best coach in the world the other, the other year you get fired and still he got a new job so i think that is a really um good example to show you it's it's the life of a coach also of an athlete it's up and downs and that's why i think it's never good to say you are the best of the world or the other way around you are a bad coach no it depends on a lot of lot of um yeah external factors also so true so true now dan you come across to me as being quite calm I might be wrong, but that's that's the impression I get, quite calm. And then Jan, I'd say, has more of a fiery kind of personality. Would you say, is that is that a fair to say? Yeah, I think that's exactly the point. And it's even one uh, reason why he chooses me as his coach. He doesn't need a coach who tells him, yeah, you have to go faster and harder and doing more training and motivate him for this. No. He is always motivated and he wants to do more and harder and faster. So he needs more somebody on his side who calls him down and he can, who can give him some objective explanation. Uh, yeah, who keeps a little bit the emotions out of it. 
that's why we are quite a good athletes coach couple. It works quite well because um, everybody has his role and it fits really well together. A downside of this, for example, is if I would have an athlete that I have to really motivate or kicking him in the ass, I think that is something what I'm not able, really able to do. I can do this one, two or three times. But at some point, I want, I really believe in internal motivation. And if this is not there, um, I'm not, I, I would not say that the athlete cannot achieve something, but he, needs, he can try with a different coach and perhaps then it could work for a certain amount of time. For sure, not for a whole career but for a certain amount of time, for sure. Tell me about the when you actually met Jan, because it was at one of his swimming sessions, wasn't it? Yeah, I uh, met him in at the end of 2000... Um, uh, when was it now? Uh, 2013? 12. Yep. Uh, 12, no, 12. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> After the Olympics, yeah. <laughs> That's right. In December, uh, when I started my role as under-23 national coach in Germany, and um, I was um, at the pool at the Olympic uh, Center in, in Saarbrücken. And he came to the pool and wanted to swim. But I saw in his eyes and I heard on his voice that he's sick. And he said to me, yeah, he will just do some 2Ks, easy. Easy, just... easy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I told him, um, no, he's sick. He should go home and recover and come back when he's healthy again. So... As long as I'm, I'm doing the training, he will not jump into the water now. And he was quite impressed or surprised why I was so hard to him. Because even the other athletes around, they were quite shocked a little bit. Like, oh, there's a new young coach. And this is Jan Frodeno, the Olympic champion. Um, okay, what will happen now? But nothing happened. He just took his, his stuff and went home. And uh, he came back in the evening to my office. And then he, still, he told me, yeah, um, or he asked me if I could, if I wanted to be his coach. And years after, he told me also this story. And he, um, or one reason to ask me was that he saw, okay, I don't see him as the Olympic champion. I see him as an athlete and I want his best. And um, because I didn't have a, a Palmares as a coach at that moment. So it was quite also a risk uh, choice for him. But he saw that there is some potential and that's why, yeah, that was the starting point of, of our work relation. Were you nervous about agreeing to coach him? Yeah, but it, uh, luckily it came after he went out of my office because <laughs> <laughs> when he, he asked me if I would do this, I said, uh, yes, I think I didn't even hesitate. I said, for sure. And then he immediately came up with his plan that he wants to continue on the short distance for one more year and then change to long distance. And he want, doesn't want to do this just to do it, but to win the world championships. And then I told him, okay, we do this 2015. And then he said, okay, good. <laughs> but when he went out of the office, then I was a little bit more than uh, nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think, and, what have I done? <laughs> yeah, some kind of, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, from the, I had to start then and make plans, starting to train him and, yeah, and then working with him day by day. So I think it's not the right moment then that uh, you don't trust yourself. But I, I, kn I knew that this would be a really hard task from the physical side, but also from the mental side to deal with an, such a successful athlete. And, um, but it was, uh, some kind of, yeah, change in my coaching career because with coaching him, other athletes also got interested and saw, oh, why is he working with Dan now? And so it helps me a lot in my coaching career for sure. And you said, Dan, about mentally it was going to be hard as well. What kind of mental challenges would you say have there been and how have you dealt with them? Yeah, the mental challenges was um, he was he always wants to win, so it's uh, not you cannot tell him okay we will see in the next competition how you will feel and perhaps if you are on the podium it's it's nice and it's already a big success and then we go the next step he goes there to win and he wants also the team around him to have the same uh, mindset and then in the first year I he, he still lived in Germany and I see him training and. What you described before, that he's um, 
yeah, so it's fiery. It's, yeah, he's fiery. <laughs> yeah, so when things are not going like he wants that they go, he he shouts around, he throws things. Where it, it's and you, as a young coach who has a complete different character, you're just standing there and say nothing, <laughs> just look, <laughs> <laughs> look and learn or whatever. <laughs> and that was um, yeah challenging because. Um, I also have to give him the feeling that the training is challenging and he will develop himself. And even if he trusted me, you always have to convince also that, that what he's doing is, is the right thing. And he was at that point, he was really not in shape. So when I saw the first data, it was really like, oh, um, how should we get to the point to, to think about the world championship title in some years? It was really a big challenge. And then the other, uh, the other um, side, knowing when he starts at the, when he is at the start line, everybody f- wants him to see winning. He wants to win, and if he's not winning, it's it's not just that he gets second, third, but it's really you lose, and then it's it's a hard situation. And um, but there, I learned a lot from, and I learned to deal with that pressure, and um, that's why, like I said, it was for sure a big uh, booster and a big uh, learning effect for my coaching career. And have you have you always been a very calm kind of guy? Yeah, generally yes. <laughs> um, I'm. I don't like to to be too much in trouble with people or to shout around or even in my own family. I I don't know if my wife and myself have already had a big conflict in all these years, perhaps a small one, but in general I'm really really calm and. Um, yeah, just my son. Now we have a son from seven years. Sometimes he can also bring something out of me <laughs> <laughs> when he challenges me. But uh, I really like this to to be calm and to to observe, to try to understand people, and then to react and not uh, being too extra extroverted. Um, do you get when you're when you're in the team car at the Tour de France, in in the Bora Hansgrohe car? Like, do you get nervous? Do you get sweaty palms? Yeah, for sure. Nervous, I, I get. Uh, so it's um, I'm completely in the situation. So at every race that one of my athletes is doing, no matter if it's a cycling race or a triathlon, no matter how big or how small it is, I'm always nervous and looking at my mobile phone and looking at the tweets and the live t- uh, uh, tracker until the race is finished. And um, when when the result is not good, I'm... I stay nervous until I have contact with the athlete and she or he can tell me, okay, what happened? But it's at every race the same. It's You always want that the athletes compete well. Not At the first, not for yourself, but for for the athlete, that he's happy or she's happy. And especially when you are not um, at the competition, because when you are not there and, in, and uh, your athlete is not performing, it's quite a hard time because then you from home you cannot do so much. When you are there, you can deal with it. You can you can find the right words and have some time or spend some time with with her or him. But when you're not there, it's quite uh, a hard moment. And that's why I'm until today I'm always nervous when there is a competition going on. How do you deal with those nerves? Because I'm sure you speak to your athletes about nerves and mindset as well. But how do you deal with them? Um. And it depends. It's <laughs> on the situation. Um, sometimes I go for a run with my mobile phone, for example. If we come to the last case in some sprint, sometimes um, I'm. Yeah, I said, okay, we have done everything what we could. So the result is we have. It's not anymore in in my in my hands or in our hands. Uh, there are also other athletes who compete well. So. I just always recheck have we done everything right? Have we done everything right? And if I find out that it's the case, then I can I can deal with it. And I say, okay, if we are not going going to win, then just other people or other athletes will better. But it's the world turns will will continue to turn, and uh, there will be the next one. Um, so I that's how I try to to deal with the situation, and and always also try to to. Um, to change the focus, to not putting the focus too much on myself, because at the end, 
it's the athlete himself who has the biggest consequence of winning or not winning and not you as a coach you as a coach it's it's good or bad for you but um it's just a small piece of it uh, the, the athlete himself or herself has to deal with the situation and that's what i also think about and say okay the competition didn't well but for her it's it's quite it's really hard to be at the finish line and having not performed and thinking about how to go on, what will she do next or what will he do next. That's why I try to stay calm and just give them motivation for, for the next one. What's the most difficult situation that you've maybe had to witness as a coach or had to get an athlete through? The most difficult situation was for sure um, last year in Frankfurt, Ironman Frankfurt, when Sarah Drew yeah, was just on the way to win the race. And then 1K before the finish line, she got some kind of heat stroke and she started to, yeah, Wobble. just to get, yeah. And she w was in the medical tent and she was lying there and I was also at the race. And I went to the tent and I just saw body shaking and screaming. And and as in that moment, you say, what the fuck are we doing here? Yeah, that's what, not what sport should be. And uh, so I was a little bit shocked. And also, yeah, then was there in the tent and was able to calm her down. But that was quite a scary moment. And it's that I have never have had before. I saw for sure athletes who are tired, who cannot finish a race because they have pain or whatever. But to be in that state that you don't know what is going on and shaking and crying and all together, that was quite a scary moment for me. And this um, was um, one of the hardest moments as a coach. And perhaps also in um, the Olympics 2016, when Annie was there and she made a really good preparation, everything went well. And um, yeah, then she had a really bad swim and I saw, okay, the race is over. And not that was the problem, but I know how much dedication she put in, how much energy, effort she did over the last four years to get there. And then it just was gone. It just was gone like, like this. And that was also hard to, yeah, to go through. Because I guess with uh, with Annie Haug especially, you know, if you've known each other since you were students, she'd be a good friend as well as an athlete. Yeah. For sure. Um, I always uh, make there some kind of distinction because in generally the athletes are, don't get me wrong, but they are not friends. Yeah. They are the athletes. Uh, it's a different role. I think after their career, it could change, or it should even change with some of them completely, I think, because we have just a good relation. But I think it's important to um, to keep that distance because in the end, what you, you write the training, you write really hard sessions, you bring them to the limit, and perhaps even sometimes further. And as a friend, I don't know if you really want to do this. I think that's not what you want to do. You want, don't want to hurt somebody in, in such a situation. And um, that's why I've, I really make the distinction between my athletes and friends. Yeah. What does not mean that the athletes could not be friends after their career. But for sure, with any, we have a really long relationship. And for sure, we also talk about uh, different things than triathlon. But still there, when it comes to the point, she's the athlete, I'm the coach. Yeah. And... That's how we are dealing together. Talk to me about the the professional cycling world as well, Dan. How how do you combine the two? So the triathlon and cycling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my main job is really the, the, the cycling job. So they are um, the head coach and head of innovation from, from Bora Hans Kohe team. And so that's where I'm 100% I'm in. Uh, and the triad, the triads that I coach beside of this, I... I'm happy that I have the possibility to do this so that our team manager allow me to continue that, that work with them. And um, yeah, the cycling world is a little bit different. It's it's a team sport. It's more people involved. And um, in triathlon, when you are the coach, basically, or in general, you decide by your, yourself with your athlete. Perhaps you have a manager with the big athlete and that's it. And then at some point you have some specialists coming in, but you don't have these specialists 
always in this closed team environment that I had to get used to for sure in the first uh, first year because communication is not so easy to communicate with such a big group that everybody gets the same information. But on the other hand, I also learned how to do it and what could be the benefit out of it. And um, that's why also when you win a race, it's even there, it's more clear that it's not only the athlete or the coach, it's really a team won a race. From Also the mechanics has a really, mechanic has a really important role. Even the bus driver who brought them there or the, 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 the chef. So it's a big, a big group who was participating participating at this um, this victory, and um, that makes a difference. And Peter Sagan is one of the uh, key. Well, he's he would be the superstar rider, wouldn't he, for for the team? What's it like working with with him? Is he as fun on a day to day basis as he comes across on on TV when he's doing his interviews? Yeah, I think he found for himself a good balance between being a professional athlete and on the other side, not taking it too serious. Like he says in the interview, it's just a bike race. So it's if he's winning, for sure, he, he wants to win. He always wants to win. But if it's, it's, if he's not winning, it's he will try the next day and the next day again. And um, he brings the balance between uh, yeah, being professional and focused and on the other side, also stay relaxed. When you see him in the interviews, that is really one part of him. For sure, he also has another part, a more quiet part, part who thinks more. And But in general, what he shows in the interview, it's one big part of himself. And that's also what he brought to the team and where some young writers also saw how you can deal with it. It's not always good, for sure. <laughs> um, but um, it helps, especially when there's big tension, it helps a little bit to, to deal with this. A, a quite a good, good morale, a good morale-boosting character. And yeah. 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 Now, um, I read somewhere that Ralph Denk, who is the big boss of uh, Bora Hansgrohe, um, he got a tattoo of Sagan's uh, logo on his ankle after a drunken bet. <laughs> Have you done anything similar? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Were you part of the drunken bet? <laughs> no, um, I just did... Um, so in general, I don't... Uh, I don't drink alcohol, so uh, sometimes, so the, the riders or the others know when I drink something, then it must be something really special. <laughs> so that's why one year I said, okay, for every World Tour win of one of my rider, I drink one beer, something like that. Or um, yeah, so uh, it depends a little bit. So sometimes I make this kind of bet, um, but it's for myself. It's more like a motivation for them, but also some kind of. Giving, showing them value. So just because they say, okay, he's now drinking one beer. For most of the people of this on the world, it's it's normal, but they know, okay, if he's drinking one beer, then it's it's something really special. So I can give it like this. I can show them the value that I put in their effort and in their dedication, and in, in the end, in their victory. So stuff like this, I'm I'm doing. Um, but. Uh, I would never do a tattoo for win. <laughs> <laughs> so is that what it was? Did he say, look, if you win, I'll get a tattoo of your logo on my ankle? Yeah, yeah I think it was for Paris-Roubaix, I think it was. <laughs> yeah. If you win the race, he, he said he will um, put him um, a Peter Sagan tattoo on his ankle. So, And uh, Ralph Denk is a, a general manager. When he says something, he will do it. So there was no way out. <laughs> And then did he come and he, he obviously came and showed everybody his tattoo? Yeah, it was quite at the team uh, at the team meeting. So the the, uh, the team meeting for next year, he shows it quite officially that he uh, had made it. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's but there, again, then it there must be a a very positive um, environment in Bora Hansgrohe. Yeah, I think that's a really important point uh, in our team. Also in other teams, when you, when they are successful, generally they have a good mood into the team because like a cyclist, you are perhaps 150 to 200 days on the road. Also the, the team members are a lot on the road. So if you don't have a good mood, it's quite hard to be away from your family and always not feeling well. So that's why it's some kind of family inside the team. And that is something we we try to keep also between the riders it's not easy especially when the team gets so when you are stay there for more years because at the beginning you have a really fancy team you are attractive it's something new and everybody is happy to to be part of 
And then over the years, you have to work for this. So it's not that you just can let it go. You have to work for this. You have perhaps to bring in new riders. Uh, you have to keep your, your people motivated. And that's a big part of, uh, of our job. And But it's a key factor. You need a good, good mood in your team to be successful in this sport, for sure. And I, I get that you are a real sort of people person, Dan. I can, I can tell this. And where does that come from? Oh, that's a good question. I must be honest. I don't really know because I could not say that I have, uh, I have had in my sports career a big some coaches who work like this or some, some other people for sure a good influence from my parents. But so you make the evaluation of it. So that's why I say yeah, okay. Yeah. It's it. Um, hopefully it's like this. But where it comes from, I. I don't know. I just felt it quite early that I, um, or what also other coaches told me quite early that I can really feel, for example, when an athlete tells me about his session, my opinion is that I really can feel what, um, how it was during the session or during the race, even without having ever done it. I have never done an Ironman, but if people tell me about it, I can feel it and I can think about it and think, okay, how can we do it better? What happened in that situation? And, um, Perhaps I don't know where this is coming from. To be honest, <laughs> it's, uh, that, but it's also I think yeah. one reason why I really like to work with people because it's I like to talk to them and to get information and then also to have an impact on on their life or on their situation. Honestly, Dan, you you're just coming across as a really really nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You know, you too. <laughs> but like very very calm and actually you genuinely care about about people and i think that yeah that that goes such a massive way yeah doesn't it's, it um, yeah i think it's i really care about them yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and um how important dan are the basics for you in your coaching it's a really big point that i always come back to them so uh, athletes or even team members they always try to find out find something new something what can make us better something special what other teams or other athletes are not doing but um, i think you can come really really far when you are doing the basics right so in every field um, nutrition training recovery your social environment your dedication to to your sport i'm really a big fan of doing the basics right and always Coming back to them, we saw this year, for example, in um, after the COVID break in the races, uh, we had a clear nutrition strategy for the races, and generally, in general, everybody should know it from the team. And then, after some days in the race, I got a call from our doctor, and they told me about some problems that the, the athletes feel empty during the race, and they don't know why and what happens. And then I saw, okay, some basic stuff was not done right, so the rider didn't. It seemed that the rider forgot how much he should eat per hour during the race. It seems that the the the, the swineers forgot how many sco scoops of energy powder they should do into the bottle. Stuff like that. <laughs> That's what I mean. So really take care that you are doing this right. And if you are sure, then go the next step. And Especially with young athletes. I think there is you really have to focus on because then... If you have young athletes who know the basics well and who take care about this, you have less problems with them when they come oh yeah, at a really high professional level. And then part of your role is um, head of innovation, which must mean that you're always looking at new technologies and you know different things in order to improve. So how do you balance all of that, all of the data, all of the technology with the basics of actually how do you feel today the most important part is that is the rider himself so the feedback from the rider from the athlete is always the most valuable feedback it's uh, i always compare it to this formula one driver who sits in his car the engineer they have a lot of um, devices to measure everything from the car but still, when he comes to the finish line and gets out of his car, he goes to the engineer and tells him, okay, the car did this and this in this corner. 
and perhaps it's an information that the where the engineer saw the data but could not explain why and the rider could tell him what really happened there and i see the same when an athlete give you his feelings about he, how he felt in the race in the training how he felt during specific session and that's why this is really really important so no matter which devices we have we always try to keep the focus first on this and all the rest are additional information and that's also how you have to deal it in front of the athlete so first ask them how are you how do you feel and not that they give you already the hrv number or the set, uh, muscle saturation or lactate value or whatever first i want to know how are you Young athletes, sometimes they are even surprised when you ask them how they are because they think already so much about the technology. <laughs> and, uh, and and my answer is always, I will see this in the hotel. When I, yeah, I will have a look at the data, but when I'm in the training, I want to know how you are. If you can push the watts or not, it doesn't matter. I just want to know how do you feel and how is your muscle feeling or where do you feel the problem? That's why... Um, so that's the, that's the main point. And then when you have a new innovation, the first question is, in the end of it, will this help us to, to win more races? Because our general manager, he deals quite well with money. And if I say to him, okay, we have to invest some money, the first question he asks is, will this help us to win more races? Because in the end, that's what it's all about. It's winning or having good performances at, at the races. And if this is not the case, or if there's just a really small percentage or really small chance that this will help us, then we wait and just see what happens. If we see a big game changer, for sure, then we go all in and make our own studies and test them and try to be perhaps in front of others. And to finish off with, Dan, what one tip would you have for age group triathletes when it comes to their own training? What always helps is, um, so when you say, for example, now, okay, we are not at the end of the year, but soon. So, and then everybody says, I want to do everything different now. Uh, I think a big thing is taking all your stuff you have, what you have done, and just having one hour or perhaps, I don't know, two hours sitting together with somebody who knows his stuff and just getting an analyze of what you did, giving some advices uh, in which direction you should go. And from that point on, you can decide what you want to do. But in different situations in our life, we are doing this with our taxes or if we look for to buy a house or whatever. It's not just that we go and buy a house. No, we we look for information. We look for persons who, who are expert in this. We, we get some advices. And in sports, sometimes people think they should know everything. Uh, and it's not it's not a shame if you don't know it. There are people out there who, who are doing their, their whole working time, um, nothing else, just looking into into sports and not only on the high performance level but also on age group level or even on the health level and i think that is really beneficial just to to find somebody to sit together going to what you have done looking to your goals and getting some kind of advices and then you perhaps you can continue on your own or you go on a, i don't know four-week training plan just to get into the rhythm and then you go on your own that could help already with a lot of issues because in general it's not about bring in some new stuff, but it's just about making things good that you are already doing or avoiding mistakes that you are already doing. And if you avoid these mistakes, your performance will go up like quite fast. Dan, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, I really appreciate to talk to you, Helen, and uh, all the best for the future. Thanks for listening to the Inside Try Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything, then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Try Show. Don't forget, I want your tips for helping each other get through lockdown number two. So tell me at Inside Try Show. Thank you so much, as always, for telling me what you've been up to. Keith says Hector and I hit the trails, Hector being his dog. I do actually feel like I'm getting to know a few of your dogs now. Feel free, carry on sending me photos. It's all good. David, well done on your Enigma Three Lakes Challenge. And Mike says he ran in the mud. It was slippery and cold. Hashtag macho. Sounds a bit like our head torch run the other day. Now, Jeff said I should follow Barbara Hernandez if I want to see real cold water swimming. I then looked at her Instagram and she is swimming without a wetsuit, no grease at all, just plain skins in 2.7 degrees in Patagonia, near Glacier Grey, to be precise. 
And I'm sure, I'm sure I have been around there and it was sodding cold being on a boat and in those parts. So getting in the water, am I allowed to say shit me? I mean, that's impressive. Anyway, talking of cold water, Ema loved the recent podcast with Alan Hovder and we got in the water again on Sunday and it was 10.2 degrees, so not too much different to the week before. But this time on the last 150 metres, I I really suddenly felt that real cold and I thought, "Mm, I need to get out now. But yeah, I, I couldn't stop giggling again when I got in. I had all the same things on as the previous week. So my two layers under my wetsuit, my neoprene hat, my gloves, my booties, and then hot chocolate afterwards, along with my hot water bottle stuffed up my jacket. It is the best look. I mean, if you are going for fashion, I nail it. Absolutely bloody nail it. By the way, I know I want your tips, but I'm going to share something as well. If you want a little bit of motivation or maybe something to target or just something to kind of get you out of bed through the next few weeks, we are still doing 645 Yoga Club. This started way back earlier this year at lockdown numero uno. And it's just a bunch of really lovely people getting up most mornings. See that as someone is there every morning 6 45 we do it over zoom it's not a talk class we are usually following tim senezi on youtube it's great it's about half an hour if you want to join us if you want the details then just get in touch with me at inside try show you can email me helen at inside we would love to have you on board if it helps you through these yeah wonderful mornings But anyway, that is about it from me this week. Thank you as ever to supporters of the show, Long Range Fuel, 33fuel.com and comfuel.co.uk. You can get discounts from all of these lovely people. Just head over to the show notes at insidetryshow.com. And also, don't forget, if you want to win three months supply of 33 Fuel's award-winning ultimate daily greens then there is a link in the show notes you just have to enter their draw for a chance of winning that three months supply that is it look after yourself look after those around you share those tips keep me smiling and we'll speak again very soon Podcast Network.